right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the week 13 college football betting preview. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. We got Thursday football, Friday football, Saturday football. Ready to roll? The BC boys once said no sleep till Brooklyn. You and I, no sleep till Turkey. And then even that's just a small nap before we have a couple live shows this weekend. And uh, and it's sad to say goodbye to uh, Maction tonight where uh got to see Northern Illinois not come back. Uh, I'm glad that my under held there at, uh, at 63, but uh, goodbye, Mac. Uh, hello, a full slate of games and a college football playoff picture that's about to completely change. It's been incredible. Midweek action has been phenomenal. Yeah, I finally beat a backup quarterback. And no I finally overtime. beat Northern Illinois. It took me pretty much the entire season. So now the next task is to get Kent State home for our futures and get them to play Northern Illinois and hopefully not get heartbroken. But they got to get through Miami, Ohio. First, we'll get to that. We have so many games to get to. Best bets for Friday. Best bets for Saturday. Moneyline dogs. And we're going to go through almost everything here. Everything on the board. We have you covered all weekend. So let's, without further ado, let's just jump right in. Happy Thanksgiving, gamblers. We're thankful for you. All right, there's no look ahead or look away. There's a couple different angles that will kind of mix in throughout, but there's no reason to do whole segment art. So let's just jump right in to our four marquee games of the weekend. And they are four historic rivalries. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 13. All right, let's start in the Big Ten with the game. Ohio State travels to Ann Arbor, fresh off an absolute beatdown of fellow in-state school michigan state it will look to finish the job here and punch a ticket to the big 10 championship but michigan will be looking to play spoiler and also potentially try to get to the college football playoff this is the 117th meeting between these two schools first came in 1897 michigan leads 58 51 and 6 the largest victory came in 1902, Michigan won 86 to nothing. That might arguably is the greatest college football team of all time. I don't know anything about it, but they also beat Michigan State then 119 nothing that year. They beat Iowa 107 to nothing. For the season, they allowed just 12 points and they outscored their 11 opponents 644 to 12 with nine shutouts. I, I don't know who was on that team, but that's the largest win ever. Longest streak ever was 
Michigan, mid 1902 Michigan team was part of it. They won nine in a row between 1901 and 1909. Ohio State's won eight in a row. So they're looking to match that. And by the way, Michigan fans and Ohio State fans always watch this. It's 58, 51, six. You know, Ohio State's been creeping up here in the overall season series. This game will obviously, as always, every year, it's at noon on Fox. Michigan is an eight, eight-ish, eight, eight and a half point home dog. We've seen this line flip around, you know, so we've seen a good touchdown at seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. The look ahead was around six, six and a half. Which, what I find interesting is that this, it breezed through the seven compared to the look ahead market because Ohio State looks so impressive. But, I mean, this is what I was expecting Ohio State to do that against one of the worst pass defenses in Power 5. Michigan also dominated, too. So, uh, I was curious to see that. Total sitting at 64.5. I think the biggest question here is, can Michigan secondary, which grades out well, right? Across the board, if you look at their pass efficiency numbers, if you look at their individual metrics, grades out well, but... You know, I mean, they faced a, West, a pretty explosive Western Michigan team, but it's a MAC team. They faced Washington, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern, you know, Michigan State, foot up 37, Indiana, Penn State and weather, and then that fraud Maryland. So the schedule of opposing pass offenses hasn't necessarily been the biggest gauntlet that you'll ever come across. So I think that's the handicap here is deciphering, okay, we can go back to those Don Brown defenses, right? It didn't matter how good the Michigan defense looked. As soon as they came up across Ohio State, they would get torched. And to be fair, this is your Heisman front runner and C.J. Stroud and the best receiving core in the country. The other side of the ball, Michigan wants to run the ball. That's Ohio State's strength as a defense. Can Michigan hit some plays and take advantage of some potential weak spots in the Ohio State secondary I think that's ultimately the handicap. What do you see here? Yeah, I think the handicap is the coverage because you talked about Don Brown and he would run man. He would send 40% blitz and run man. That was a recipe for absolute disaster. Solve your problems with aggression, okay? Sit there and go, oh, we're going to read this pull. We're going to run up there. Fuck that. Let's go. And you're right. Quick crossers, quick crossers in space all day and then... Yes, and I think that's what the handicap should be. There's going to be a lot of other content places out there that are just going to, you know, throw out shit that doesn't matter. So let's get down to it. Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, comes from the Ravens. He's run a 3-3-5 base. Uh, From a very high level, that's what he's run schematically. But he switches between man. He runs zone. He runs pattern routes. Uh, Ryan Day called this on Monday a very complicated defense to attack from a secondary perspective. Michigan is ninth in coverage for a reason. They have been able to shut down opposing passing attacks. Now, Stuck, you mentioned, you know, the level of competition that they've gone up against, but they are a multiple front that can switch in and out of any kind of uh, defensive scheme. If they need to change after one drive or two drives, they can do that. And some of the numbers that they've put up individually as for the cornerback position and its safety are extremely impressive from an individual standpoint and grading. So I think what you have to do first is start with Ohio State and say, did anybody give them any problems over the last two months from the passing game perspective? Well, wouldn't you know it? Corn, baby! Corn, baby! Our favorite team to bet on this year, Nebraska. And and, and I just didn't even realize this until I I did a deep dive on this. C.J. Stroud has not had a turnover-worthy play 
since mid-September, I think, against Tulsa. But he had four of them against Nebraska. Now, why is it Nebraska running a 3-4 scheme, usually a heavy blitz with Eric Shenander? Why is that the game where C.J. Stroud had four turnover-worthy plays, but over the past nine games, he's had none? What is it that makes Nebraska so much more special? So if you dive into the game plan, they didn't blitz him. They let off their pressure. They backed up a few guys off the line of scrimmage. They put more guys in the secondary to control the throws. Now, I know Crystal... uh, Chris Lave, they weren't at full strength with their wide receivers, but that doesn't forgive CJ Stroud for having four turnover worthy throws, more than half than he's had the entire season. And that was going up against Jojo DeMond, uh, Nebraska. I mean, they just completely shut CJ Stroud down. He hasn't faced a set of corners like Michigan's DJ Turner and Vincent Gray, both rank in the top 100 individually for all corners and PFF. You add in safety Brad Hawkins, individually, he grades as 18th best safety in college football. So what Nebraska was able to do was take their foot off the gas with the blitz, put more guys back and look for any kind of routes that they want to run, and C.J. Stroud had his worst day. Now, you could do this if you're Michigan. Why? Because you have two of the best defensive line players in the nation, uh, with Jabo and, and Hutchison, that's all you need for pressure. You don't have to send five guys. You don't have to send four guys. These two are enough for that entire offensive line. And when you look at that offensive line, there are offensive linemen that have had problems with pass blocking, with run blocking, and that's just going to be a huge issue against this Michigan defense. So if you go to the other side of the ball, and, and so when we say the handicap really is what Michigan can do in the secondary, I 100% believe it. Because of the grading of the cornerbacks and the safeties, I believe they can contain what we've seen the last couple of weeks out of Ohio State. So Michigan's offense, to me, is the real deal. They're going to give Ohio State's front seven a lot of issues. The Buckeyes are 69th in stuff rate going up against the Wolverines that are fifth in stuff rate on offense. Number one in havoc allowed. They do not make mistakes. They don't allow anybody to tackle them in the backfield. They don't fumble the ball. This is a very disciplined unit. And also, yeah, it's a well coached team. It's good special teams, too. Good punter, yeah. good kicker. They don't turn it over. Now, the question is can they, they just have to stay close doing that or in the lead? If you get too far behind here, that's what you can have happen because then Michigan has to come out of what they are and change their identity. And then all of a sudden, you might have to start forcing some throws. So the beginning of this game is huge. We think Ohio State's defense is good enough to shut down any kind of explosive attack from anybody. It's not Michigan's bread and butter, and they don't want to do that. Yeah, they're going to have to throw here. Well, they might have to throw, but I think they can run all day. I, I, I simply think they can run all day. They can control the clock, and I think they're going to play well in the secondary, and they're going to cover any spread above seven. Now, the buy point for me is seven. That's it. So I'm taking the Wolverines. I think they keep it close. I, the number just moved way too much. I mean, a Vegas shop was offering this at four and a half at the end of last week. So, I mean, it, it's quite the move. I'm, I'm looking – I was – Potentially looking at the under here, but you know, because I figure that Michigan's gonna their objective here, and what I mean when I said they're gonna have to throw is like they're gonna have to hit some passes. Like you're gonna have to hit some explosive passes in this game. But their objective is gonna be, I assume, is to shorten this game and keep the Ohio State offense off of the field. Right? Run the play clock down, ball control offense, field position, and then they have to hope that their defense is good enough. Am I running to bet it? No, not yet. Am I running to bet the under? Mm, not yet. But if we do get a 10, I would love 
I would love to jump in on Michigan at 10. If this hits 65, I would like to get on under 65 or 65 and a half. We're recording this on Tuesday, by the way, so we can have this out to you for Thanksgiving. So a lot can change. We still have to dig into some things. That's why we're going to have a live show on Friday and Saturday morning. Also, the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. So as of right now, it's hold for me. Keep digging a little bit. Your play here. Already shoved a nickel across the counter on Michigan at eight. I would buy it again at seven and a half. I'd play it for less at seven. And I think it's correlated though, right? I think the total's too high also. But if you like Michigan, you like the under. If you like Ohio no. State, then you like the over. Look Let's at go. you siding with Bodog Jim. Our caller I- is going to be very happy. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Uh, I lean that way too. I think that's where the value is. There's not enough for me yet to jump in with some of the questions I have, but uh, I'm going to keep digging there. All right, let's move on to the Big 12. Look out! This is Bedlam! Bedlam! Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's a four-point favorite over under 50. This is the 116th edition of Bedlam. Oklahoma won the first meeting 75 to nothing back in 1904. Oklahoma leads the all-time series 90 to 18 and seven ties. They also own the longest winning streak of 19 that spans from like the late 40s to the 60s. They've currently won six in a row and they've owned Gundy. Gundy's two and 14 straight up in this series and four and 12 against the spread. He actually has been favored three times. I think 2017 short favorite, 2011 and 2012. There's a book called Bets, Drugs, and Rock and Roll in that book. Have you read it or heard of it? I wrote Bedlam up for Action Network and I immediately talked about the soup. Go ahead. The soup, yeah. So they, the mob uh, fixed this, uh, apparently, fixed the game back in 1954. What they did is they convinced the, 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 a chef that was feeding the team to put laxatives in all of the Oklahoma players' soups. They apparently all had like explosive diarrhea and were sick. They won. Oklahoma won. They won 14-0. But the spread was 20 and a half. So the plan worked. My calculations are correct. You're going to see some serious This is obviously a huge game because both teams still have hopes of getting to the college football playoff. I think Oklahoma State probably has a better chance right now. But if either wins out, they're going to at least be in the discussion, and especially if they get help elsewhere. First, let's go back to Oklahoma, Oklahoma or Iowa State last week. I would bet Iowa State 100 out of 100 times again. Uh, there was a five or six plays, fluke plays, fumbles, uh, fourth down swings that just all went Oklahoma's way. Caleb Williams, your boy, is lost right now. I think that he, he has all the talent in the world, but he's, he's lost in the pocket. Um, if you watched him last, I mean, when he got hit in the end zone and fumbled, the pocket awareness is gone. He's confused. The last two games against Baylor, he's 17 of 36, sub 50%. He's 17 for 36 at sub 50% for 229 yards. Total, one touchdown, three picks, and has been sacked seven times. It's bad. He doesn't look right right now. Digging into his box scores, it's like, all right, he struggled against a little bit against Kansas. Yeah, he torched Texas Tech, so a lot of people. And then against Baylor and Iowa State, 17 of 36 combined. That's sub-50% for a total across two games of 229 yards. One touchdown, three picks, seven sacks, and a couple of bad fumbles. 
Okay, Baylor, good defense. Iowa State, good defense. Well, guess what? You're going up, about to go up against a great defense, maybe the second best defense in the country behind Georgia. The Oklahoma State defense is balling. Uh, I mean, they have pros in that secondary, excellent safeties across the board. Jim Knowles, I hope, gets the Broyles Award as the best assistant coach in college football. That defense can get after the quarterback. It can cover. There are really no weaknesses. The offense has been better. Still have questions about it. I mean, Tay Martin's healthy. I don't think they're going to be able to run much against Oklahoma. And the Oklahoma defense, which was really piss poor for long stretches of the season, has started trending upward. And I think that has to do with health. Woody Washington back. You saw Redmond back on the defensive line. Graham back at corner. Turner Yell back. I mean, they just had a lot of players that were in and out. Uh, you know, linebacker too. So, look, I don't see this Oklahoma offense doing anything. I think this Oklahoma State defense is that good, and Caleb Williams is struggling that much. And I think Oklahoma's defense can hold its own against an Oklahoma offense. It's not going to Oklahoma State offense. It's not going to wow you. I think Oklahoma State wins this by two touchdowns, but I make it around four or five. Um, actually, I make it like five and a half after major adjustments of looking back over the past couple of weeks. I want to get some exposure to Oklahoma State somehow. My play for now is the under. I think the Oklahoma State defense is this is that good. The Oklahoma offense is being overvalued here. And the Oklahoma defense, it's not being accounted for the fact that they've gotten a lot healthier. And I think that they're on an upward trajectory here. So give me the Bedlam under. Fifth, I think it's sitting at 50, 50 and a half right now. Um, I like it anything at 50 or above. What say you? I, th- I will say with confidence that this is the second best defense of the nation. And I mean, I think the market has spoken. This is a number that opened up minus one, flew through minus three. We have a book in Jersey, as you and I are recording, that's at four and a half. Uh, if you go out to the Saturn ratings, which not only does a power rating, but it does a recency like weighted rating where it only like considers the last couple of games, they're up to minus six in this game. And I know that's really hard for people that believe in the Sooners and believe in Oklahoma and think that the college football playoff is always going to be this certain group of teams. But I'm here to tell everybody, like I've said in the college football write-up the last three weeks uh, for the playoff and who has value, Oklahoma State can absolutely go to the playoff. There is no reason this defense cannot carry them through these last two weeks. So when you mentioned Caleb Williams having problems, it's just, it's not looking good right now. I mean, Oklahoma trailed to can- trailed Kansas in the fourth quarter. They had half of their rushing attempts stuffed by Baylor. They needed Brock Purdy uh, to fumble a scoop and score before halftime against Iowa State. Fumble luck is a part of the Sooners' identity. 12 fumbles this season. They've recovered all of them except for one. Tell me how great that ball bounces for Oklahoma. The offensive numbers are elite. I mean, they're fifth in offensive finishing drives. They're 10th in passing down success rate. There's two things that have to be addressed, though, with this Oklahoma offense. Havoc allowed and a stat that we used on Alabama in 2020. Momentum killer rate. Because this Oklahoma offense has shades of being elite, and then they have a handful of drives where they look sloppy and lost. And the Sooners are 85th in Havoc allowed because of the 12 fumbles, and they've allowed 63 tackles for loss. That is a lot. That's not good against a Cowboys defense that is fourth in the nation's stuff rate. They will be in your backfield in a New York minute. The Sooners consistently have 10-plus yard penalties. One of those variables that's in momentum killer rate, which includes like interceptions, fumbles, field goal misses, 
The Sooners have a lot of things creeping up where they're shooting themselves in the foot offensively. The offense is elite, but they can fall off a table really fast. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing with them. What should worry anyone that has a Sooners ticket is the defense. I mean, specifically the secondary. Oklahoma does not have a single cornerback graded in the top 200 players in PFF. But the big story this season for Oklahoma State, I mean, if you want to, the whole Jim Knowles thing, I'm getting there. The offense and Spencer Sanders, this is the best season Spencer Sanders has ever put up. In previous seasons, when he had Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, it was always about his pocket awareness, his fumbles, his footwork. This season increases adjusted completion percentage when he's blitzed from 60% to 75%. There is no difference if you blitz Spencer Sanders or if you don't, he posts the same adjusted completion rate percentage. He has had a massive increase in efficiency. Then then we get to the Cowboys defense. And when I say they're second, only Georgia has allowed less red zone attempts. Think about that. You can't even get to the red zone on Oklahoma State. They've only allowed like 23. And the Pokes are 17th in opponent red zone touchdown percentage. They don't allow you to score touchdowns. So if you have thoughts of, well, at four, I think I should buy Oklahoma. At five, I think I should buy Oklahoma. No one generates more three and outs than Oklahoma State. I don't know the ceiling. Like when you say, I think they can win by 14, I don't know the ceiling of this Oklahoma State team. I know the floor. I know a three-point loss to Iowa State. I know the limitations of the offense. I see how bad they are running the ball outside the top 100 and rushing success rate. But Spencer Sanders is fine when he's got pressure. That you didn't used to be the case. His footwork is fine. And this defense is playing out of their mind. They're playing just a shade below Georgia. So I'm with you. I'm in on Oklahoma State. And I don't know their ceiling. Let's see. They now lead the nation in sacks, tackles for loss, third down defense. They're top five in scoring defense, number two, total defense, number three, rushing defense, number four, first down defense, number four. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Tons of pressure, and they're just so strong and physical on the back end, with the, especially those safeties, but they can just blanket you. And I, I think – Caleb Williams is in for a long day. Yeah, the Colin Oliver kid, the freshman on the defensive line, he, he just eats offensive linemen for breakfast. I mean, I've been piping up on the Cowboys for a couple of weeks now. This this defense is, is insane, and it can carry them all the way to the college football playoff. All right, let's move on. Let's talk a little Iron Bowl. I feel strong about this now, really strong. This is the 86th Iron Bowl meeting between Alabama and Auburn. Auburn is a 19-and-a-half point Home dog, total 56, uh, opened up uh, at, I think, a place or two at, like, way lower, at 50, 51, and got immediately bet up. This And by the way, we say Iron Bowl. Think about why it's called the Iron Bowl. Well, they used to play this in Birmingham, which is known for this its steel industry, and that's how it's got its name. The first meeting happened in 1893. Bama leads 47-37 with one tie. Auburn's won three of the past four at home, though, including the past two. Never forget the kick six. That's in our intro. And they're six and two against the spread at home in this series since 2005. Weird things happen at Jordan Hare, especially at night. My question here is I can't figure out Alabama. I tried to bet them last week. I, tried, I mean, they are so Jekyll and Hyde where they have flaws and then some weeks they don't show up other weeks they don't i think they just wait to see who i bet and then act accordingly i only can figure them out against like my mercer team total over um that was fun for five like 20 bucks whatever i could get down on that so i can't figure out alabama 
but they have sometimes they, they have lapses in coverage. The offensive line is down. The question here becomes, can Finley take advantage of Alabama's secondary and or can Tank Bigsby, who ran pretty well last week, get it going on the ground to keep the Alabama offense off of the field? And on the other side of the ball, can Auburn secondary, which has talent, but it's been slipping in pass coverage of late, can it slow down Alabama? And I, I'm, I'm worried about Finley, especially he just doesn't have – Robert just doesn't have great receivers. You, you compare the receivers, the receiving cores of these two teams, and it's pretty drastic. And I'm worried about – a little bit about the Auburn defensive backfield and what I've seen in recent weeks. But at the end of the day – and this generally doesn't work out well for me. This time number's too high. So <laughs> if I just want to just – from a pure numbers perspective, I have to take Auburn with that. Probably won't end well. If I got a 21, 100% on Auburn right now, right away. 20, probably, 19 and a half, a little dicier. Help me out here because I can't figure out Alabama. This was a clear bet for me. Like, I I saw this. I If it doesn't cash, I'll be I'll be surprised. I mean, usually, you know, when, you, when you're a gambler or you're an investor in sports, you can't go in it with blinders and say, this is absolutely the way it's going to happen. You have to be able to shoot holes in your theory and you have to back it up with data. This one, I'm not so sure I can see the, the downside in the bet. So the number I project is at 12. So of course you're getting this inflated tax. Uh, it's similar to Arkansas, right? We're hanging below three scores, no resistance in the number, can't find any public support for the dog. Auburn's on a three game losing streak and there is a ton of nitpicking going on down and from the local media, specifically about how this team performs as the game goes on. Harson is coming under a lot of criticism. I mean, there was the vaccine, there was firing of the wide receivers coach. Now we're on a three game losing streak. This is not Boise and the mountain West. You are going to have to earn your paycheck. Auburn led South Carolina 14 to zero in the first quarter and then scored three points for the rest of the game. Some really bad play calling. They had a fourth and one call. Fourth and, and one, they threw it up in the air. Right? And they, they threw it. it in the air with TJ Finley when you had a tank Bigsby game where he went for 160 something yards. He was absolutely tearing the Gamecocks apart. I don't know what that play calling was. So Harson deserves to get chewed out. And one of the key stats that we like to source is the middle eight. And that's where you look at the point differential four minutes before half, four minutes after half. This is where Harson is not earning his $5 million plus. Alabama second in the nation in the middle eight. Auburn is 107th in the middle eight. Games have completely fallen apart in the middle eight for Auburn this season. And that extends into the second half. It's just not a middle eight problem. It's a second half problem. You go back to Penn State, you go back to any game. The longer it goes, they get Terrible. That's a reflection of coaching and not making adjustments. Maybe you can get away without making adjustments in the Mountain West, but this is the SEC, which is kind of like the NFL. The NFL can change their game plan on a dime. That's how coaches get up to the NFL. Drive by drive, they're looking at iPads, they're looking at formations, they're making changes. Harson's not doing that at all. There's one script and we're doing it the entire game. And if you can't, you know, change on the fly, college football teams, they script three drives. After that, they try to change it. Harson doesn't change anything. So that doesn't necessarily mean that Alabama is going to run away with this game. The tighter outside the top 50 in pass blocking, line yards, havoc allowed on offense. And Saban was asked at his presser on Monday, are you making any more changes to the offensive line? Without naming any names, Saban just throws them out there. The same guys I've been talking about on this podcast. 
Well, I think Darian Dahlcourt, Chris Owens, and Damian George, they're solid, and there will be no changes to the offensive line for the rest of the season. So don't ask. There is no more. I know you would like to some kind of way extract something out of this pie that's not there. It's not there. You all speculate and create things, and then you want people to respond to it. I got news for you. The, the grading for the run blocking and the pass blocking says a completely different story about those three players. So Saban says that's not going to change, and that is a point of emphasis and a point of attack for that Auburn can, can take advantage of. But Bryce Young, is I figured it out now. You called him captain check down earlier in the season. I was wondering why we're never throwing past 20 yards down the field, and I figured it out. Bryce Young is essentially competing in the world championship of darts every week. He is, he is waiting for the defense to expose themselves. He looks for the open spot, and that's where he goes. And he lets the explosive players do their work. So it's not that Bryce Young doesn't have the arm, and it's not that Bryce Young doesn't have the decision-making. He's essentially a glorified darts player. That's all he's been. So South Carolina beat Auburn with just 10 of 15 passing and three explosive plays. I'm still like this box score amazes me that they won this game. But here's the most important thing. They didn't target Roger McCreary once. Zero times they went after him. They went after Smoke Monday once. They attacked every other player in the secondary. And I guarantee that Alabama saw that. Saw what South Carolina Yeah, McCreary's been great all year. McCreary is one of the best in the nation. And South Carolina said, F it, we're not going to even screw with this guy. We're going elsewhere. And it worked for him. Alabama and Auburn are both ranked top 13 in first quarter point differential. These two teams love to get points on the board fast. Harson will be completely outcoached in this game. I'm staying away from the very inflated point spread, but the first half over and the first quarter over make complete sense to me. These two teams will script it up. That script will happen. Points will be on the board. And then after that, Harson won't adjust and Alabama will run away with it, but there will be points and there will be points early. One odd thing to also keep in mind is Auburn will be without its uh, excellent kicker. He's out for the year, Carlson. Yep. And this sophomore, Ben Patton, I think he missed like a 26-yarder last week. So you're playing Alabama. You don't have your kicker. You're probably going to see a, some very aggressive play calling on fourth and, down. And great field position. Yep. Starting field position. Um, I agree. Seem very confident there. So I love the enthusiasm. Uh, let's move on to the Pac-12. Head out west for the Civil War between Oregon State and Oregon. Oregon is a seven-point favorite, over under 61. 125th Civil War. Oregon leads 66 to 48 with 10 ties. This is first played in 1894. The winner gets the Platypus Trophy <laughs> because the Platypus has beaver qualities and duck qualities i think it's the bill and then the tail it was gone it was stolen someone stole the platypus trophy and it was gone missing for 40 years i was reading about this trophy today and then it ended up somehow it ended up in a a high school as the swim trophy for like when they want to meet and then someone was like wait i think this is the platypus trophy for oregon oregon state and they got it back anyway that's your random fact forever so yeah, they're playing for a chance to go to the Pac-12 title. Oregon wins, they're in. They get to play Utah again. Hopefully it goes a little better this time. If Oregon State wins, they're maybe in. Oregon State needs to win and then have Washington win. Because if Oregon State wins and Washington State beats Washington, 
then Washington State wins a three-way tiebreaker, and then it's Washington State in the Pac-12 title. What a joke. I think the, the basic handicap starts when you handicap an Oregon State game, you just say, can the other team stop the run? Right. That's where you have to start with it. Oregon's had trouble in that department. On the other side of the ball, Oregon State's defense, it's, it's a tough unit to figure out. They Sometimes they look great, and other times they look iffy. Um, are they going to be able to slow Oregon? Now, does Oregon – Oregon? I don't think there's a motivation question here. Trying to beat your rival who beat you last year, trying to go to the Pac-12 title. But are they a little flat for after last week they had college football playoffs? I don't think so. I don't think there's any motivation questions here. So this comes down to the matchup on the field. What do you see here? Yeah, I think you're right. You have to you have to handicap who can stop the run here. A must win for the Ducks. Uh, a must win for Oregon State to have any shot whatsoever. This is a game I power rated seven. This is a game that I have the total set right on where it is in the market. So there's not Damn. this. Yeah, there's, there's just not this instant take where it's like, oh, well, this is inflated or overvalued. Before you go and look at the numbers, you realize that Cristobal doesn't cover at home. I mean, I think I've talked about this before. Like when they ha- he has big spreads uh, in Autzen, he doesn't cover. So to back that up, they've covered once this year at home. And since he became the head coach of Oregon, he is 7-15 and 15 against the spread at home. So Autzen has not been like a friendly place for Oregon to be covering spreads whatsoever, especially as a favorite. Oregon State has won the last two. They've covered the last two. They've put up 200 yards on the ground. So that offense, uh, they put up 200 yards on the ground four of the last five games. So the offense is clicking on all cylinders from a rushing attack. We know that Oregon can't stop the run. It was a big handicap against Utah. So the Beavers are going to be able to run their third in offensive stuff rate. The Ducks are 74th. Uh, but that stat works both ways. I mean, the Ducks are first in stuff rate, and the Beavers are 107th in stopping the, uh, the the rush, especially at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. So neither of these defenses are getting into the backfield. Neither of these defenses are stopping the rush. Uh, and when you dominate on the ground, it could turn into long extended drives, especially for two teams that are 96th and 61st in pace. So, uh, you know, extreme advantages and offensive finishing drives extreme advantages and offensive standard down success rate chains will be moving. Now the question is, will points be scored? And that's where you got to go in deeper into the finishing drives and find out, are we getting field goals or are we getting touchdowns? The totals tricked down a little bit from the opener of 62. So it's hard to see either of these defenses, you know, getting a stop or, or, or making the other offenses play in passing downs. I just getting Anthony Brown into passing downs is key. Getting Oregon State into passing downs is key, but I don't think either defense is going to be able to di- be able to do that. Both Oregon and Oregon State are top 25 in red zone TD scoring. The Oregon defense is outside the top 100 in opponent TD scoring percentage. What does that mean? Both offenses, when they get into scoring position, will put touchdowns up, not field goals, because Oregon has a long history and it's a rivalry game, and they don't cover at home. And I think Oregon State's covered this in Autzen like every time except once in the last 14 years. I side with Oregon State, and I really love the over. So I haven't played it yet. Key 62. I like the over because of the TD percentage in the red zones. All right. There you have it. And make sure, obviously, we're going to have write-ups for all these games on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Now we have about, I don't know, 25 more games to get to. Before we do, so we got to dive in. We're going to go conference by conference. Just give you a quick summary and then go into a game or two. Before we do, let's uh, do a little trash man. A little trash man segment. I'm about to take out the trash and it's ugly. The trash man pick of the week. I'm the trash man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage and you know it. 
totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That it? That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. It is ugly. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to get shit for putting these plays in the app. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see if you talk me off them. And if you don't, they'll be going in the app right after we're done here. And I'll be putting my bets in. All right. By the way, just so this is a, a week where it's like, okay, you have teams that are five, have five wins or they're playing for bowl eligibility. For what it's worth, those teams are about 53%, 53, 54% against the spread when playing teams that don't have five wins. Uh, we have a piece out there on actionnetwork.com. But one of the things that you have to try to figure out this week, I call it corpse week. Welcome to the morgue. Uh, which teams are dead? All right. So I look at a team like USC. I think they're dead. Uh, I look at a team like Stanford. I think they're dead. Like USC, they have five wins. Do they really care about going to a bowl? Uh, I mean, no. Stanford, to me, I mean, they're not, they're not playing for a bowl. Last week, they played their rival, Cal, and they lost by 40. They had McKee back, too. And they gave up 600 yards, maybe 700. They gave up 10 yards per rush and 10 yards per pass. The cow, dead team. I don't want any part of them against Notre Dame, no matter what I see value-wise. But a lot of times these kids will play, even though they look like a, a dead team, they will show up for the last game of the year. It's the last game, blah, blah, blah. There's, but you have to look at these, I think, on an individual basis. Here's two. This is, I can't believe I'm about to say these. Luckily, it's not Maryland. so I can't wait to hear this. Let's get it out of the way. All right, the first is Duke plus 21 and a half. Oh, my God. Um, Miami's going to score. Van Dyke's been on fire. Duke can't defend anything. They can't stop a nosebleed. I mean, they were giving, I think they're giving up an 18 yards per completion. I, they can't tackle. I think they look like their defense has quit. But Holmberg is back at quarterback. They can move the ball. They've just been getting unlucky. This number is also outrageous. And I'm pretty sure that David Cutcliffe is retiring. He's going to announce it before this game. That's the rumor. And if that's the case, I'm sure that Duke is going to want to come out here and play for, you know, their legendary coach who's going out on a pretty sad note. Over 21, there's value in Duke. I've swore them off. I haven't bet them. Luckily, they haven't been covering. But this is a team that should have covered against Pitt. You know, they put up 30 against Pitt. And the only reason they didn't cover is because Holmberg got hurt and their backups are terrible. They only had like 100 yards in the second half and then Pitt ended up covering. But the Miami defense is terrible. Miami will make mistakes. I'm, I think I'm going to be on Duke at over 21. And the second, Corpse, which is even uglier. Uh, we just mentioned Miami. This team's last FBS win came in 2019 against Miami. Florida International. Oh. Uh, Florida International has been getting drilled every week. They've had a couple guys sit out uh, last week, including their best running back, Price, who's going to the senior bowl. I don't think he's going to be playing this week. They haven't even been close in games. Bortenschlager, I think, is still their quarterback there. They're catching 10 and a half at Southern Miss. Um, Southern Miss is running the Wildcat right now. And I think that these players love Butch Davis. You know, one of their best players, Dames, their safety, who's going to go to the senior bowl, might play at the next level. He came out and he's like, I just love, I love him for staying with us, even though he's wearing a Navy shirt on the sideline. Uh, this number is just too high. Southern Miss wants to slow the game to a crawl. I think Florida International is actually going to show up. So, yeah, I'm betting Florida International and Duke. Uh, and, Bo, by the way, I meant to say, if you think that teams are, oh, they're dead, this team's dead, since 1980, teams that have lost three straight 20-plus point games heading into the last week are 39 and 33 against the spread. That's 55%. Teams that under a 25% win percentage against teams with a 75% or greater win percentage, 40 
33 against the spread, 40, 33 against the spread, about 55, 56%. So, you know, a lot of times these corpses, you get a ton of value in these games. Like they're just because everyone's like, I don't want to bet these teams. We're trying to read the tea leaves here, Duke and FIU. Any thoughts or any other trash you want to take out? I think my problem with the Duke theory is that Manny Diaz needs that win just as bad. And Van Dyke has been money. You know, even when Holmberg was playing, they they weren't getting any points up on the board. So I, I agree that the players do love Cutcliffe and that this is, you know, we, we'd have to check with our sources here to see if he is retiring here. But I think the one fly in that ointment is the fact that, you know, Manny Diaz is potentially on the outs with an interim AD. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's one thing that I would, I would pay attention to, but I, I'm not with you on Florida international because I like Southern miss that much. Now I understand there's a collection of like three running backs around Frank Gore that are running the wildcat and they have, they're essentially, if you are a wide receiver or a running back on the Southern miss roster, you're taking a snap. Uh, the, the offense, uh, you know, hall ball has been completely morphed into, I just need a warm body that can take a snap and shotgun because yeah. that's all that they're doing. And when I, when I look at that, I, I look at Florida nationals ranks on defense, you know, they're, they're bottom five and everything. Now they are 18th in tackling. Okay. And that's what you have to do against a group of wide receivers and running backs that are essentially running wildcat and reverse, you know, jet sweeps and all this other shit that Southern Miss is doing. But Southern Miss is playing extremely hard. If Florida International was playing anybody else that wasn't making a ball, that would be fine. But Southern Miss is playing extremely hard and took UTSA to the brink. Now now that I'm actually on your side and believe that UTSA may be a little fraudish, but that doesn't dismiss the fact that Southern Miss is trying really hard. I think that brings me to my last thing about trash teams. I'm not fading first-year coaches. I'm not fading teams that have first-year coaches that are still trying their hardest. Uh, and La Monroe, baby. I'm betting La Monroe against Louisiana. Yeah, not just La Monroe, but it's like you see Arizona cover four straight before they finally got their eventual first win. It's programs like that, programs that are in first years of coaches and they're still trying to get some sort of minimal achievement to take it into next year. That's what I would not want to fade. Lame duck situations where there's no bowl and a coach may be out the door, yeah. Yeah, you can uh, you can fire away on that all day. All right, let's get into the rundown. We'll go through every conference and then hit a game or two. All right, let's start in the ACC. There's four games. There's three games that matter. Wake Forest going to Boston College. Wake Forest is a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Boston College. If they win, they win the Atlantic, and they go play Pitt. If they lose, NC State beats North Carolina, then Wake, North Carolina State, and Clemson – would be tied at six and two in the conference. I said three games matter, only only two. Clemson's playing an out-of-conference game. NC State would then win that tiebreaker. Clemson, however, can get in if NC State loses and Wake Forest loses at BC. And if you want to go ahead and parlay them, that's probably what's going to end up happening because – the world is evil and Clemson's going to end up getting it. <laughs> Two other games worth mentioning. I don't know if you like South Carolina or not. It's crazy that Sarah Clemson and that offense can lay 11 and a half to me, but um, I'm not sure if I want to buy South Carolina. Who's been playing a little better of late? Pitt, Syracuse. Pitt is playing for nothing. They're already in the ACC championship. They're playing 13, 13 and a half here. Uh, Syracuse, I think there are five wins. They should be motivated here. You can't run on Pitt, and that's all Syracuse can do. And you have to have explosive passing plays to, on the outside against Pitt's aggressive corners. Syracuse can't do that. 
So I don't see how they really move the ball. And then Pitt's playing for nothing. Uh, I know there's going to be pace in this game, but I like kind of like the under. And by the way, some of these times where these teams are playing for nothing, like Pitt, like they could sit Pickett, right? Like they could easily sit him here. They're playing for absolutely nothing. You saw that today with NIU. They sat Rocky Lombardi. So I don't know. I kind of like the under there. Wait, as far as UNC, NC State, I make that way lower than it has been. And NC State, I just think their defense is a bit overrated because of the schedule of offenses. And they played a number of backup quarterbacks. Like they played FSU with Milton. They played BC with Grossel. I mean, it could, the list goes on and on. And they've lost a number of different starters. I think UNC, this is UNC Super Bowl now. And NC State's season. I mean, they had, they had a really disappointing season. So I think you'll get up. The Sam Howell injury status, I I think he's 100% healthy. That's something to keep an eye on. But I think there's value with the Tar Heels. Now, my favorite bet of all of them is, is uh, BC catching four and a half or five against Wake. I make this closer to one. I think it's a really good matchup for BC. We've seen that Wake Forest's defense stinks. Uh, we saw Army like almost put up 60 through the air, throwing the ball against them. Anyone, everyone is going to score against Wake Forest. We talked about, talk about this, run, pass, whatever you want to do. They made Clemson's offense look confident. That's hard to do. UConn even slowed down Clemson's offense. So BC, hey, you want to run the ball? They've been running a lot lately. Sure, go ahead. Run it right down Wake's throat. You're going to score. You want to throw it with Jerkovic? Sure, fine. Hit explosive plays. Now, the Wake Forest offense with Sam Hartman is also going to score a lot. Hard to stop them. They're going to get their points. But BC's defense, I like their, their pass defense is better than the run defense. That's important here. And the Wake run defense is really poor. And BC likes to run it a lot. It sets up everything else. Uh, BC plays slow. They're going to kind of slow this game. Now, this is a field goal game written all over. That's pretty much all Wake seems to play all year. Uh, I think BC actually gets this win over Wake and upsets them, and the world sucks, and Clemson's going to end up somehow. UNC beats, and I'm going to have to watch Dabo smirk, but at least I'll be on UNC and BC when it happens. Any thoughts on any of these ACC games? Yeah, first off, I'd like to address uh, the stories floating around the gambling world right now about a guy that has 150 to one uh, for Wake to win the ACC, a 120 to one, a 90 to one, and an 80 to one in multiple shops in Las Vegas. Uh, he won't be named right now, but he is a uh, close friend of mine, and Sucky knows who he is personally. And I was allowed to buy uh, a piece of some of that, so it's going to be a big Wake Forest weekend. And uh, individually handicapping each one of these games. The Sam Howe situation, I've been closely monitoring. I took an under on open. Um, you know, Sam Howe was in a sling against Wofford. Uh, that was a, a play that I was able to get in. They didn't even come close to covering that game. Uh, Phil Longo uh, came to his press conference uh, on Tuesday and said that Howe was active in practice on Tuesday. But considering, you know, that, that Howe's graduating in just a few weeks and how high he's going to go in the NFL – it's really good. This is Longo's words. It's really good that we got Jacoby Criswell and Drake May in at quarterback. So I got to see some reps out of them. And I look forward to seeing more tape on those two quarterbacks. I think there's coaches speak going on that says Howell is practicing this week. I don't think he's going to play. That's just opinion. That's not something that's been stated, but he is a practice. They said he was held out for precautionary reasons, but if Sam Howell's got an agent or if he's got people whispering in his ear, there's no way he's playing this game. And UNC has made it very clear that they're interested in seeing how good Chris Well and May are. And this is a good game against a great NC State defense to try that out. It's a 3-3-5 defense with defensive coordinator Tony Gibbs. NC State's going to get to face another backup quarterback? Good I Lord. think so. 
I think so. I, I think what else is important if Sam Howe does play this game, it's not going to help his NFL draft stock. NC State is eighth in the nation in PBUs. I mean, it, it's not an easy game. This is not a cupcake for Sam Howe to go out there and fill up a highlight reel. So I think we do get the sophomore and the freshman quarterback in there, uh, and we'll see what happens. But whether Sam Howe plays or not, I think it's two ground attacks, both for NC State and for UNC. Believe it or not, they're both pretty good in the red zone defensively at, at generating field goals and not touchdowns. So I like the under on that game. Clemson minus 11 is the play. Uh, <laughs> projected right now for the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, if you don't know anything about the ACC and how they place their bowl teams, there's like a tier one that you automatically get placed into. And then there's this litany of shit bowls, right? And and you don't want to be in the shit bowls. And for Clemson to avoid the shit bowls, they're going to have to win this game and they're going to have to win it with style. Uh, they're going to take massive advantage of South Carolina, a team that should be on hangover because they just made bowl season. They were faced as a seven and a half point underdog against Auburn had to win that or against Clemson to make bowl season. They made it. They're partying hard. Beamer's in a bowl. They're not going to show up for this game. So Clemson. They're not showing up for Clemson? Come on. I don't like it. I don't want it. But what's South Carolina do? They're going to line up and compete in this game after – what was their win total? What was their win total? Like, You're just bitter. You're bitter about their win total. It's, come get them, Columbia. So, All right, moving on to the AAC. It's Cincy – will head to East Carolina since he's playing for home field advantage in the title and also an outside shot at the college football playoff. Houston, meanwhile, has already clinched a spot. They will host it if Cincy loses. They travel to UConn. Talk about the, the oddest spot of the year. They go to UConn and they're playing for nothing. I don't know how the hell you cap that game. I don't know if Holgerson going to sit out everyone. I don't know. But Cincinnati... Going to East Carolina, 14, 14 and a half point favorites. What do you see here? Well, Holt Nailers in November. I, I, it's still November. Holt Nailers in November. I love them. Uh, I mean, I project Cincinnati at 14 and a half, but they, they need as many style points as possible. Placed fourth in the college football playoff rankings, and there's about to be massive games in the landscape from Bedlam to Ohio State and Michigan. Cincinnati's going to have to do something to keep that focus on them. I, I love my uh, Twitter mentions today about strength of record, strength of schedule, and we got to get Cincinnati in. And and uh, our own sources, Brett McMurphy, comes in with just a pile driver on how Oklahoma State's <laughs> dominated their competition. But it, listen, this is a bad combination for East Carolina. They struggle in rushing the ball and protecting the quarterback. They, both, they rank t- bottom 20 in FBS in both of those categories, and that's not good against Cincinnati. They're defensively fourth in pass rush. They're second in pass coverage. This is another game, once again, where there's major discrepancies in finishing drives all in favor of Cincinnati. This is a complete Bearcats play. This is a complete team total over. East Carolina does not have any matchup discrepancies that they can take advantage of. As far as Houston-UConn, I was shocked you even put it in the script. I was like, well, what can I say about this? Well, the total is steaming down. Why is the total steaming down? Because Houston doesn't need to play this game. They essentially just – do they even need to win? They don't even need to win this game. I can't understand how – they have a great defense. I mean, they have a, a fan, fabulous defense. Houston's number one in pass rush. They're 12th in defensive havoc. So what do they need to do, score a touchdown and then sit everybody? I can't even believe they're making the flight. This will be the most conservative game. I would be shocked if Houston came out guns blazing. I'd be shocked. So under. I, I would grab it because I just think it's going to keep going down. Yeah, keep – I mean, look at what NIU did today. They're already out of place in the conference championship. 
They ran 37 plays. That's it today. 37. And, and that's what um, Thomas Hammock telling everybody that I read all weekend. Thank you for letting me spend my damn weekend, Thomas Hammock, Northern Illinois, for me reading that you made all players come in and practice on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday because your goal for this season was to beat every team that beat you last year, and that included Western Michigan, and you no-showed tonight. I'm tired of listening to these coaches. They're liars. Yeah, I mean, they basically just came in and ran halfback dive for yes. <laughs> an entire game. That's it. So, but keep that in mind. Some teams will will do that that are already clinched, and we'll go through them all here. All right, uh, you also have Memphis. Those five wins. They'll yeah. play Tulane. Memphis needs to win to get the six. Tulsa <laughs> plays SMU. Tulsa needs to win to get the bowl eligibility. The rest of the games are junk. I don't know if I can trust Temple against Navy, even if it gets the two touchdowns. Temple looks like a corpse to me. So Tulane, uh, they did have one goal. That was to win their first FBS game. To miss an extra point and cost them money. <laughs> their goal was to win an FBS game because their only win of the season was against an FCS school. So they achieved that. I expect them to be checked out, completely checked out. Memphis, on the other hand, this Tulane defense cannot defend the pass whatsoever. Hennigan for Memphis, he's back on again, uh, throwing the ball just fine, the freshman. Uh, I expect Memphis to roll here. Memphis is a weird team for me to figure out. All right, let's move on to the Big Ten. We already talked about Ohio State and Michigan. Simple for that division. Winner goes to the Big Ten championship. Other division in the Big Ten in the West is not as simple. What is simple is if Wisconsin beats Minnesota, the Paul Bunyan's axe, by the way, it's the most played series of any FBS series. I think they played 130 times. This is like the 131st meeting for the Paul Bunyan Axe. Oh, so if Wisconsin beats Minnesota, they're seven-point road favorites. Talk about a team that's trending up. Then they go to the Big Ten Championship by the winner of Michigan-Ohio State. If Minnesota beats Wisconsin then and Nebraska beats Iowa, then and Purdue beats Indiana, they're two touchdown favorites. Purdue can't win the division, but if Purdue gets in there for the four, four-way tie, Minnesota wins the four-way tie. But if Minnesota beats Wisconsin and Iowa beats Nebraska, then Iowa is going. There's also a scenario where, like, if Indiana wins, Wisconsin can still go if they lose, but that's not happening. So it really comes down to, you know, Iowa needs to win and hope that Minnesota wins. Wisconsin just needs to win to get in. One of my – Favorite bets of the preseason was them to win the division. I'm just letting it go here. Wisconsin has been un- unbelievable with this kid Braylon Allen. When they had a, when he and Malusi had a timeshare, where they were in the same games against the same defenses, when they were sharing carries. Uh, shout out Chris Malusi, 98 carries, 483 yards, 4.9 yards per carry. Allen, 81 carries, 612 yards, seven and a half yards per carry. Allen is averaging 3.2 yards per carry more than expected based on the opponent rushing day. Malusi was negative, negative expectation. He's been dominant. He's the best. He might be the best running back in college football. He's 17. The offense is, I mean, just breaks tackles. The offense you got to watch this kid. And I, I became a, a 100% believer after watching him against Nebraska. And then that opens up the passing game for Mertz. And he can make some basic throws and actually looks a little competent. Wisconsin D, also elite against the run. And this Minnesota 
offense. He's had some stinkers, you know, against Purdue, against Bowling Green. I still don't know how Tanner Morgan threw for 50 yards and two picks on like nine attempts against Bowling Green. Tanner Morgan! But they need to run to set up the pass. You're not going to run on Wisconsin. They don't need to sell out to stop the run. So I think this is this spells trouble for Minnesota. Uh, Iowa-Nebraska, it's tough for me to figure out what we're going to get from this quarterback with Adrian Martinez is out. Feels like this is just going to be a low stinker. The thing to note here, this is one of the biggest special teams mismatches of the college football season. I will absolutely lead in Nebraska's dead last and everything. Like four or five points of spread difference in this game. Penn State at Sparty. Going Penn State. Back to Faden Sparty. I'll see you on Twitter. Penn State doesn't run the ball. Oh, great. Cool. All they do is throw. Great. Play a poverty secondary. Uh, I'll be on Penn State. James Franklin just had a 10-year contract. I'm sure, I think that'll carry over to the team here. And Sparty might be a little deflated after last week. And Maryland at Rutgers for bowl eligibility? Pfft, no, thanks. You can cover that if you want. <laughs> That's about it for me in the Big Ten. What do you got in the Big Ten? Well, yeah. So the, one of the biggest uh, win total plays from a unit perspective was Maryland over five and a half. Uh, I had a feeling this number was going to steam and it is. So you can expect a Rutgers play to come in this week uh, to cover up a little bit of all that that we put on the Maryland win total. Uh, so that's really the handicap there. Rutgers can't defend the pass so they can defend the run. That's good. Right. But who, Maryland will fuck it up. But Maryland will have six, you know, Maryland will have six turnovers and then I'll lose, you know, $800 I stored away months ago. So Adrian Martinez is worth four points. That's one thing I was like, are you kidding me? Like the market is moving this much for a, I, I, you and I have never been able to put a number on Adrian Martinez because he giveth and he taketh. And uh, apparently the market reacted by uh, moving the spread four points. Uh, so that to me is a no play that leaves me with Wisconsin and Minnesota, a game that I actually project for a total of 36 sitting around in the market right now at 39 and Stuck's right about Braylon Allen. I think we showed up on a BBOC live show a couple Saturdays ago. And I just said, Wisconsin, Braylon Allen, shut the lights off. Let's all go. I mean, it, the kid is that unbelievable. And I think the problem is, is when I want to take the under on this, because I make it 36 and the market is at 39, Wisconsin has dominated this series. They've won nine of the last 10, but specifically when they go to Minnesota, they have scored at least 31 points the last three times they've gone. I think Paul Chris likes to beat the shit out of PJ Fleck. There's just something about those two guys that have different styles. And uh, this is a pretty big game for Wisconsin. I think it'll be all ground-based. That defense will show up no matter if there's overlook to the Big Ten Championship or not. Uh, the pace is there, 124th and 129th. Uh, that plays a big part of it. But, no, Wisconsin's on fire right now. Uh, Minnesota defensively, they're not bad. They're top 25 in rushing success rate. They're 28th in line yards. But this is Braylon Allen. Uh, I like Wisconsin to cover. I like Wisconsin's team total over as the best bet in that game. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. By the way, uh, for Baylor fans, Baylor can still get to the Big 12 championship. Uh, I didn't mention that. They're going to need to win, and they have a win over Oklahoma, so they need Oklahoma State to beat Oklahoma, and then it will be Baylor versus Oklahoma State. They're laying 14 against Texas Tech. I got nothing there. You got anything there? Nothing there. I, I, I think Baylor is, is uh, going to win this game, and you know, I, I expected more out of Donovan Smith and Texas Tech, but – that might be it for them in their season as they transition into a new head coach. All right, let's move on to the Conference USA where we will have UTSA, Mimi, will host the conference championship game. They already know that in the Alamo Dome. They will either host Western Kentucky or Marshall. 
West Kentucky travels to Marshall. Marshall's a one-and-a-half point favorite there. There are a couple other games of note here. UTSA, so UTSA, they're already clinched. They know they're going to be in the conference championship. They know they're hosting, but they are undefeated. They go to a North Texas team that's playing really well. They've won four in a row. They're at five wins. Wasn't against the greatest competition, but they're trending in the right direction. Does UTSA try, go all out for the undefeated season? Do they sit guys worrying about the conference championship? Something to note there. I kind of like North Texas the way they've been playing. I'm a little scared about what's happened when they stepped up in class, but that's something to keep your eye on. I've already mentioned FIU. UAB, flat spot at home against UTEP. They, you know, they lost in the last second. They're laying 13 and a half. They lost in the last second to UTSA to go to the conference championship. I'd be careful with UAB. I'm not sure if I want to bet UTEP. What's up, Minor Nation? Picks up. And I have a couple matchups of five-win teams. MTSU plays FAU. Charlotte plays ODU. Winners get bowl eligibility. But I think the biggest thing here is Western Kentucky, Marshall. We have Western Kentucky Futures. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. The pride of the Commonwealth. Oh, no, hell no, man. Who wins this game? Are you hedging? What's the handicap here? Not hedging. Going in on Western Kentucky, taking, I don't care if you have 14 to 1, 10 to 1, 7 to 1, not hedging here. And frankly, from what I've seen out of UTSA secondary, I'm not sure if I'm hedging there either. But when you look at Marshall's rank, they're 49th in coverage ranking. Uh, when you look at their the, on defense, whether it's standard downs or passing downs, they're having problems with the explosive play, specifically 54th in passing downs explosiveness on defense and standard downs. They're 76th in standard down success rate. Western Kentucky is the third best team in the nation in standard down success rate on offense. They push and move the ball lightning quick. And speaking of lightning quick, these two teams are ranked sixth and ninth in tempo. This is going to be up and down the field. The team that is better and Havoc allowed and makes the least amount of mistakes is Western Kentucky. They're third in the country and Havoc allowed. They're number one in passing success rate. And Marshall just does not have it in the secondary to keep up with this team. This is going to be an absolute drag race. And at the end of the day, Western Kentucky has got more firepower. Uh, and, and there's just nothing. Marshall's, you know, Marshall's going to be able to get something done on the ground. But that's not going to work when you're down 14 or down 10 or down 21. So I expect max effort out of Marshall. But at the same time, they do not have the secondary to hang with Western Kentucky. And who really doesn't have the, uh, the secondary to hang is UTSA. So to pivot over into that game, UTSA has nothing to play for. North Texas right now is a kind of undefeated season, undefeated season. But yeah, nothing other than that. North Texas right now is a covering machine. And Seth Luttrell is coaching for his job. Five yeah. wins, got to have it to go to a bowl. They've covered every game that they've been in, and they've been on fire. Now, I'm not talking just Florida International and being up 35-0 in the second quarter. I mean, every week they're covering. So, you know, little spoiler alert for three and out later, but it's going to be mean green. I wouldn't be surprised if they win this outright. Uh, but no, no hedge in Western Kentucky, and, and I feel pretty comfortable that Marshall's not going to spoil our chances. Wow, mean green – I think you're hitting it money on underdog. I was actually considering them. I didn't end up picking them, but we'll see. All right, let's move on. Yeah, zappy hour, baby. Bailey zappy. Rooting. I'm going to let it go, too. People have been asking about hedges, so like Kent State, 14 to 1. Listen, it comes down to your own personal risk tolerance and then your own financial position, right? Does Will this be 
life-changing money? Can you, do you really need it? Will you be hurt if you law if you lose it? If you do, you know, just take a bet and then bet it on the other team just to get back your initial investment. If that's going to give you peace of mind, if you want to get, try to get half of it, it all comes. I can't answer that when you ask me, should I hedge? Uh, everyone always messaged me that it comes down to your own risk tolerance, your own financial situation. Sometimes it's just basic avoiding mental biases. And then like that'll impact your betting. And if you need to hedge a little piece of it, just to keep yourself sane, fine, do it. Everyone is different for many different reasons. So it's really hard to give a blanket answer. I'm letting Kent State go. I'm letting Western Kentucky go. Zappy Hour and Flash Fast. Both of those teams uh, are going to be going a million miles an hour uh, for us. This is not life-changing money for me. This is a personal decision. So my advisement is keep money in your wallet if you need to buy back your initial position. If you want to be in the game long-term, Find a way to keep money flowing through your wallet. So this is a good chance to do that. I'm letting it roll. Yeah. And then you always you always can also make a decision if you see something you like mid-game or second half. Say Western Kentucky is up 14 and you want to go for a little middle for your initial investment. Maybe try to hit both. Yeah. There's there's other things you can try to do as well. But that's going to be – man, this week is going to be so sick. All right. So that's at 3.30. Yep. Zappy hour. Man, I'm going to have – drinks are going to be flowing. Uh, at noon, yes. before then, we have Kent State, who's going to be going a million miles per hour. You got and better than me, right? I got a 10 to 1. What'd you get? 14? Yeah, I got 14 to 1. 14 to 1. Uh, I'm letting this go. I, have, I wrote this game up on actionnetwork.com and Action Network app. Uh, I bet Miami of Ohio's playing really well. They have Gabbert back, who's been much better than the backup. Meyer Sorensen, great receiver. Hippenhammer, the transfer from Penn State, has been playing really well. They can sling it around the yard, and they're going to put up points here. Kent State, they have Dustin Crum. They have a three-header monster in the backfield. They have explosive receivers on the outside. My Ohio front seven is pretty damn good, but their secondary is lacking. They lost for Gumba. They have a corner that they're starting outside them. Per PFF, he's 434th out of 434 corners, minimum 100 snaps in coverage. Kent State's going to score. They score on everyone, and they score within like two minutes. I think the line is – about right. It is worth noting that this is at home, and both these teams, I think, are nine and zero combined at home, and they're like one, two, and nine on the road. So that might make the difference here. But here's where the market—I I played the under over sixty-four and a half for what it's worth. Here's where the market's not accounted for. It's Kent State special teams. They can't punt it. So luckily, they don't punt that often. But they, more importantly, they can't kick it off. This team—they can't. Their kicker can't reach the twenty. So they're—I mean—they're dead last in touchbacks and. Teams are starting around the 35 or 40 against them every time, sometimes the 50. So here's what happens. Kent State scores within two minutes. They lead the nation and drives under two minutes. They kick it off. The team starts around midfield. They score on Kent State's shitty day. Kent State gets the ball. They score in two minutes. I mean, these are why these totals get bet up, and they still go over. Sands that weird Akron game where they actually decided to play slow, I think just maybe given the circumstances that the game didn't mean much. So I like the over. Still think that – Kent State overs are too low. I think both offenses are going to be firing on all cylinders. Is Kent State going to win? I don't know. Could I see Miami winning? Absolutely. I think this is like whoever has the ball last wins. Should be a thrilling game, and I think it's going to be a shootout. Any thoughts? I'm rolling with you. I'm not hedging either. I, I can't stay flash, flash fast all the way. Sean Lewis, baby. All right, let's move on to the Mountain West. Where 
it's a little complicated, but you have San Diego State is six and one. They play Boise State on Friday at 9 a.m. local time in Carson, <laughs> California, two hours from campus on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. There's going to be like 10 people there. Um, that's on noon Eastern on Friday. And they're six and one. If San Diego State wins and beats Boise, they're in. They win the West. If they lose and Fresno State on Thursday beats San Jose State, they're seven and a half point favorites. Fresno State is in because Fresno State is the head-to-head tiebreaker over San Diego State. Interesting nugget here. If San Jose State wins on Thursday, San Diego State's playing for nothing on Friday. So maybe they sit people. Maybe they're really flat at nine in the morning for a game. So keep your eye on that because that San Jose State, that Fresno State game is on Thursday. And if they lose, San Diego State clinches and hosts, assuming that Air Force was now the mound is a little more complicated. Boise is five and two. Utah State's five and two. Air Force is five and two. If Boise wins, Beat San, beat San Diego State, they get to six and two. You would assume Utah State beats New Mexico. You would assume that Air Force beats UNLV, 17, 18 point favorites. If that's the case, then Utah State wins the tiebreaker. It, the only way Boise can go is if Boise wins. I mean, both of them can lose if Utah State and Air Force loses, but they need. Air Force to lose. And if that's the case, then they are going because if them and Utah State win, they have the head-to-head over Utah State. If Utah State loses and Air Force wins and Boise wins, Air Force is the head-to-head over Boise State. And the three-way tiebreaker, Utah State goes. What it most likely looks like it's going to happen is that Utah State and Air Force are going to be tied at the top. They're both going to win this weekend. And whether or not Boise wins or not, Utah State's going to go because if they're in a two-way tie, so Boise still has a shot. I don't know if all that made sense, but Boise State, San Diego State should be a hell of a game. I love Boise. I love the under. My I wrote this game up as well, so you can I'll, I'll tweet it out, and it'll be on actionwork.com and actionwork app. Here's my quick handicap. The Boise defense is rolling. Uh, it makes sense that this defense is rolling now. Andy Avalos, brilliant defensive mind. They brought in a new staff, new scheme. They had a lot of injuries early on. They had a lot of targeting penalties. Dale Skinner who missed like three three halves. He's a NFL, future NFL safety. They're Riley Wimp, Wimpy, their star linebacker. He missed the first half against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State put up 21 in the first half. Didn't score in the second half. Got blank. They're nickelback. But they've made a lot of changes. Number one, they got used to the scheme. Number two, they made a lot of personnel changes at corner. They're playing biggers, this kid from Bowling Green. They're playing this younger kid on the outside who are playing really well. Defensive line got healthy. The run defense is playing well. This is a team that just held New Mexico to, I think, 76 yards and shut them out. They shut down Fresno. This defense is rolling. Also, Boise, special teams, elite, just like San Diego State. Not as good. You don't have the punt god, but neutralizes San Diego State's advantage a bit here. And on the other side of the ball, look, San Diego State's defense is great, but they lost three pros in the secondary. And whenever they've been tested – They've shown a little vulnerability. Boise State can't really run the ball, but Tim Plow's figured out a couple things, how to get the receivers involved in the running game. But all this comes down to, to me, special teams, kind of a wash, little, little advantage of San Diego State. But the difference between – I have Boise now the top 25 defense nationally. The difference between the San Diego State defense, which is like top 10, and the Boise offense, which is like average, and the Boise State – defense, which is top 25, and the poverty 
San Diego State offense is huge. I don't see how San Diego State moves the ball here. This Boise State defense is rolling, and they're going to stuff the box. The run defense has improved. Boise State will hit enough explosive plays through the air, probably to Shakir, with Backmire to get this done in a low-scoring game. A lot of field position. Might be They might be – I don't know how they're going to react to a 9 a.m. start, but a lot of field position, a lot of tackling. San Diego State wants to run and play slow. Boise plays a little faster, wants to throw it. But San Diego State's defense will hold its own. We'll get the punt god controlling the field position. I think this goes under, and I think Boise wins. I, I like that. I'm going to follow up on that play. I'm going to actually take San Jose State at home at 2.30 in the afternoon on Thanksgiving Day against Fresno State, a team that has five wins, wants to get to bowl season, has dealt with injuries all year long, Nick Nash playing quarterback, which is, you know, really kind of generated a lot of these bad numbers that you see on offense. I can't sit here and tell you that they're really 110th in rushing success rate or 110th in finishing drives because they haven't had Nick Starkle. They haven't had their full set of players, but they are playing extremely good pass coverage. They're 33rd in pass coverage. They're top 25 in defending the explosive play, both things that you have to have against Hayner, against Ronnie Rivers, against everything that Fresno State brings to the table. But it's just, I mean, to, to leave Fresno on Thanksgiving Day and go to go up to San Jose, uh, you know, I mean, that is not an easy drive. And uh, I expect that to increase the home field advantage. And it's a game that I make at six. So it's seven and a half. It has a lot of value. I'd play it through to six. And I think that they can win outright. Yep, I agree with Sandy. I, I agree with San Jose State. All right, SEC. Here, it just means more. Missouri, Arkansas. Um, here's my quick take on this. Missouri's offense is a mess. They've had a lot of offensive injuries. They've lost, you know, they're down to the third string right tackle. They lost their, their guard, their MVP of the offensive line. They've been shifting all, a lot of people around. Their left tackle and center are good. Everyone else has been shifting around. They don't have good receivers. And everything goes as Tyler Beatty goes. If you can run, they can move the ball a little bit. However, what was really holding back Missouri early in the year is their defense, but their defense is playing really well. They played really well for three straight weeks, and the run defense has improved. I think that, look, they fired the defensive line coach. They brought in Steve Wilkes, new defensive coordinator, pro guy, plays a lot of complex zones, cover zeros. Took them a while to get used to it. Their defense is playing better. Now, they were missing their star corner last week who got invited to the senior bowl. I don't expect them to play this week. True freshman stepped in and was outstanding against Florida. But I don't see – Beatty being able to run much on Arkansas. So I don't think – I think Missouri is going to struggle to move the ball. And this improved Missouri defense, I don't think it's being captured in the market. So I think the total is just a tad too high. I like the under, but I'll defer to you. And what do you see with your hogs? Woo, pig suey. Uh, Missouri is going to have a hangover here. I mean, they became bowl eligible and they got Dan Mullen fired and Drinkwitz just with the ultimate press conference trolling of all time. I mean, this Missouri team, they've had their share of struggles on offense. Connor Bazelak has not been the same since coming back from injury. And they have a defense that's 121st in the red zone. It's just, it's going to be a really bad combination against an Arkansas offensive line and a multiplayer running back unit that can just dominate most trenches in college football. But I I give Arkansas credit for showing up against Alabama. I I thought they would no show, and I couldn't have been more wrong with what Pittman does with this team week in and week out. 61% 61% success rate and standard downs against Alabama defense, 6.3 yards uh, against the tied front seven and standard downs. You cannot beat the Hogs unless you put KJ Jefferson in passing downs, contain the pocket, and throw quadruple coverage on Traylon Burks, who's healthy, by the way. So back to Basilic, he's posted his 
two worst adjusted completion percentage games of the season the last two weeks against South Carolina and Florida. Arkansas has been fantastic at getting on the board early in games, and Missouri is outside the top 100 in scoring differential in the first half. They're coming down to Fayetteville. Uh, do a little geography lesson. There is no direct route from Columbia to Fayetteville. It's a big hangover spot. Hogs first quarter minus three and a half. Hogs first half minus seven and a half. Uh, $250,000 bonus for Sam Pittman. And we're going to try to make our way into a higher bowl. We don't want to be in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Put us in Florida and Tampa, Orlando, please. There you have it. Kentucky, Louisville, big rivalry here. I make it spot on. Do you, see, you have anything there? Nothing. Okay, we'll write up on actionnetwork.com and Action Network app if you want more insight there. And by the way, live show, Big Bets on Campus Live, 10.30 a.m. Eastern on both Friday and Saturday for both slates. Uh, all right, let's talk some Egg Bowl, by the way. We have to talk some Egg Bowl. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I can't wait for this game. It's always one of my favorite college football regular season games of the year. Now we have Leach and Lane Kiffin. I think we're going to disagree on this game. Uh, right now, Mississippi State is sitting at a, let's double check, a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home, over-under 62. Speaking of over-unders and Ole Miss, unders have been free money with Ole Miss lately. I, look, when I look at this game, Will Rogers is playing at such a high level. And, yes, you could say teams that – you know, dropped, you know, they have the rush three and drop eight used to have success against Leach. And they did. Jimmy Lake used to do that against Washington state. The teams are doing that this year. in the SC and Will Rogers is still look at Kentucky does that. Will Rogers, what did he go? 41 of 44 for 450 yards. He's rolling right now. I think that he can move the ball. Look, Mississippi wants to take away the explosive play. All right. That's fine. That's not what Mississippi state lives and dies by. They want to move it methodically down the field with Will Rogers throwing the ball. I think he can have success doing that here. On the other side of the ball, Mississippi State's defense is outstanding against the run. They also have two really good corners who I think can match up here. But you have to remember that Ole Miss wants to set up everything through the run. Mississippi State can hang here. Their defense has proved that all year long. And look, it's a short week. Ole Miss has played a gauntlet. I know they played Vanderbilt last week, but they were – in a kind of a battle with Vanderbilt last week. And they just played nothing but AC, SEC teams week after week after week. Their bye was in September. Meanwhile, Mississippi State had their bye later. They just had a, a laugher this past weekend at home. They get to stay at home. I think they're going to be much fresher. And, you know, all those injuries that Ole Miss has been dealing with that have kind of held the offense back. Short week here. You know, maybe some of them flare up. I trust Leach here. I trust this Mississippi State defense. I trust Will Rogers. I think Mississippi State gets this done against an Ole Miss offense that's just been a little off for the past month due to injuries. And, you know, it's just just not the same elite unit that we've seen early in the year. The defense has improved a little bit, but I don't think it's going to slow down Leach, Rogers, and company. Give me the dogs. Give me the cowbell. I'll be ringing it on Thursday night. I actually agree with everything that you have to say. I mean, I, I, this Mississippi state offense has been fantastic. Will Rogers, 34 to 18 INT ratio, 1.8% turnover worthy plays this year. That's minimal. Uh, Leach's offense has been fantastic. They even broke Dak Prescott's Mississippi state record for passing yards and TDs in a season with real Rogers, but 
the place to attack the Bulldogs on their defense is in standard downs. The Bulldogs have given up chunk plays all season and they rank outside the top 100 in defending the explosive play in standard downs on first and 10, second and seven. They have been eaten alive by explosive plays. And if you turn around and look at what Ole Miss is playing for, yes, they're playing for Sugar Bowl, but that's going down Narrative Street. If you want to look at actual street, uh, Jonathan Mingo played last week. He had a catch from, from Matt Corral. Uh, Matt Corral continues to limit the number of zone reads, the number of times that he's left the pocket. But all indications are this is the healthiest that this Ole Miss offense has been in the past six weeks. Uh, and I think that, that that's going to be a big difference in the first half. And if you look at Mississippi State through SEC conference play, it takes them three or four drives before they start dominating teams. They dink and dunk on offense with the air raid. They play really good defense, outstanding rush defense. So I think Ole Miss is going to have success. You're right. They're built to have a two-man front and stop and prevent explosive plays, but that's not Mississippi State's game. The problem is it takes a couple drives where Will Rogers is really accurate and on point and never comes out in the first drive. So I think Ole Miss is going to have success early. I'm taking Ole Miss in the first half, but I think this comes all the way down to the wire. Uh, So I'm confident that Ole Miss is healthy for the first time in weeks on offense. I think they're going to show that with Matt Corral, a last-ditch effort for the Heisman. I think he's going to leave the pocket more than he has since that Tennessee game when he took off 30 times. And then there will be adjustments made, and it will become a complete dogfight, and hopefully no one's peeing in the end zone at the end. But uh, I like Ole Miss in the first half here before the air raid attack catches up and makes this a game all the way to the end. Yeah, that's a good point. I will be curious to see if he does if Corral does run a lot more. I mean, he does – have an NFL future in his head. So, I mean, if Lane wants to run him 30 times to beat Leach, good for him. Yeah. But I, where, where, they, where the total sits right now, I would lean the under. Another under. I think what is Ole Miss at four or five, four or five unders in a row? Mississippi State's hit four overs in a row. When I was researching this game, I was oh, like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, how is Mississippi State four overs in a row and Ole Miss is four unders in a row, or five unders in a row? How would you even guess that, right? Yeah, because Mississippi State wants to bleed the clock. They go slow, even though they just throw all the time, and Ole Miss wants to go fast. I, I do lean under there. Not a huge value, but I, I personally think the Bulldogs get it done. But it should be a good one. Highly entertaining. Great game for Twitter. All right, uh, we have one conference to close out our Sun Belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. It's App State versus ULL. Next week, it's locked in. Game will be at ULL. Does ULL care? They play ULM. And does App State care? They play Georgia Southern. I played ULM plus 22. There's a couple reasons why. I don't know if ULL will care for the, They're playing for absolutely nothing. We won't say his name. Uh, is talking to like Florida and LSU for coaching uh, coach openings this week. Scared money don't make money, you know. They already know they're hosting the conference championship next weekend. They're playing for nothing. I think ULM shows up here. They only have four wins. They're not playing for a bowl. But it's a new staff. It's a team that went 0-10 last year. They're still trying. They went, They played LSU at LSU really tough last week. They lost 27 to 14. And last year, during one of the most embarrassing years you can have, they went 0-10. They never led for a second the whole year. At the very end of the year, they lost 70 to 20 at home uh, with ULL running it up. So I think that they're going to – this is kind of like that spot with Coastal Carolina and Georgia State when Georgia State, I think, lost 65 to nothing on their home field. Went to Coastal Carolina this year and got payback and won right. Uh, so I think ULM shows up here. I think this line's inflated. There's a chance that ULL sits guys, just basic runs, stay healthy. Uh, so I like that. No no interest in the App State game. Anything in the belt for you? 
Well, I think with App State, I mean, that is a very large spread against the Georgia Southern team that runs an extremely slow ground offense. So I think it's a little inflated there, but I'm not trying to get in the way of App State. Uh, and then the coach that we will not speak of, who's entertaining offers from everybody because he likes to look at himself in the mirror uh, and blow bets. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's just say, let's put a pause. Let's table the the Sun Belt and just expect a Mountaineers uh, expect a Mountaineers wager to be coming through. The, oh, I already have. I think a, a four a four to one futures play on App State to win the Sun Belt. I remember do hitting that. I remember hitting that for a nickel. App State is going to be the play against ULL. We'll see if uh, the coach that will not be named actually shows up this weekend. All right, uh, before we go three and out, stink of the week here. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. Do this quickly. Florida, Florida State. Florida is a... Three point now to a three point favorite. I played Florida minus two, still like them at minus three. Yeah. Emory Jones is out for the year. That means we're getting AR 15. I've loved this Florida State team with Jordan Travis. They're playing really well. Their offense is playing really well. Florida is going like this. They fired Dan Mullen. Will they show up for this game? I think both teams have five wins, right? Both teams playing for bowl eligibility. What will they show? Who will show up? You would think that Florida State definitely is. They're trending up. Florida State this is a rivalry game. All these kids know each other. It's Florida, Florida State. I think everyone's going to show up. And this the, Florida is a much more talented team. With, with a look-ahead line for this, what, f- two touchdowns? And now you're you're getting three. You're getting AR-15. Mullen is no longer there to hold him back. Hopefully em- Emory Jones is okay. I think he tore his ACL today. Uh, so I just think this is too low. This line's too low for the talent that Florida has. Maybe I'll try to get out if they get a lead and try to middle this because I – you know, there's a lot of unknown with the play calling and things of that nature, but I think there's too much value to pass up on Florida, but the line does smell. Any thoughts there? 100% agree with you. I'm on Florida. There, if you go through the play log of Florida against Missouri, I don't want to come out and say that I think Dan Mullen was trying to get fired, but he was due. <laughs> there was some of the most odd play calls I've ever seen. It's almost as if he wanted the worst thing to happen there's usage of timeouts. There's, there's a whole sequence in the game. It's out there on Twitter. I've seen it floating around. I've actually seen a video of it. I think now that Dan Mullen is gone is a good thing for this program. Whoever the interim coach situation is, I don't think that adds to the value, but there is enough talent at Florida to cover and almost beat Alabama. It's not like the players are gone. Grant them 40 days, 40 days ago. Yeah. So way too much value on the Gators here. And that toxic environment just had all the cancer cut out of it. I expect the Gators to show up. Yep, I agree. All right, before we get out of here, let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, let's start first down. Favorite overdog and Moneyline underdog parlay. I'll start. Uh, favorite overdog. For those who are new, that's just our favorite favorite of the weekend. One last time. Brocktober, baby. Brockvember. It's almost Brocktober. Iowa State, with all those seniors against – I know TCU has five wins, I, different coach. I, I, they've won their Super Bowl against Baylor. They've checked out. All those seniors at Iowa State, they haven't got a bounce all year long. They could have won almost every game that they lost. But I think they show up in Ames, and I think they put it on TCU. That's my favorite. Favorite? Overdog, underdog for me is going to be two teams that have been cashing for us, and we will continue to play them. 
Wyoming is almost a 10 point favorite. You can find nine and a half around out there going up against Hawaii, Hawaii team that needs this win to go to a bowl. They're coming to the mainland. They're going to go play in this altitude. Uh, and that is a really, really bad situation to try and get your fifth, uh, your sixth win against Craig bowl. Who's now going bowling, but he's trying to, you know, add a little bit more to his plate. This is a Hawaii team that two weeks ago lost to UNLV. Uh, and was given a turnover in that game. They lost 27 to 13 to UNLV. They just had a shootout 50 to 45 against Colorado State, a team that Wyoming absolutely dominated. The odds makers and the market cannot catch up to what Craig Bowl is doing with this Wyoming program. Uh, this is a team I had a season win total over, and they're just now getting hot. So uh, Wyoming's not had issues with Hawaii in the past. I expect them to roll here. As far as my favorite underdog money line, Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I am going to go with our boy, Steve Adazio, Colorado State against Nevada. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Look, I'm, I show value in this number. Nevada's got to be deflated. They're playing for nothing. Had an outside shot before losing in triple overtime to Air Force of the conference championship. That's the second straight deflating losses they've had. Now they're going on the road to Colorado state. They already have seven wins. Carson strong had some knee issues. He's been limping around a little bit. Mm, don't be surprised if he or some of the other pros sit on Saturday. I show value in the number regardless. Colorado state should be able to move the ball on the ground uh, here. And I like the Rams. How about you? Underdog. I've already said it. North Texas. Seth Luttrell is playing green, green baby. Yeah. I mean, he is playing for a paycheck. He needs to put food on the table in Denton, Texas. UTSA, believe it or not, one of the worst second-order win totals in the nation. Stucky called them a fraud, and I started doing some research on it. This team is 10-0, but they're more like a seven-win team. Post-game two win prayer wins, and then they played like nobodies. Yeah, and uh, you know their post-game win expectancy, if you accumulate all that up, it's not even close to 10 wins. It's more around seven, a little bit less. So... This is a North Texas team that is hungry. This is a UTSA team that has overlooked to a conference championship game that they will host. So no interest in this game whatsoever. I think North Texas wins outright. All right, second down, our favorite Friday bet, Boise State. I don't think the market is accounting for how much better this defense has been. Avalos, after the bye, made some personnel changes. They've started to grasp the scheme. Interior defensive line is healthy. This defense is rolling. Their offense can make a few more plays than the San Diego State offense. Two great special teams units. A 9 a.m. game in Carson, California. Practically no home field advantage. San Diego State has gotten away with so many close wins. A couple in multiple overtimes. I think they're 6-0 and one possession games. Catches up to them here. Boise State gets it done. Broncos keep it rolling. How about you? Favorite bet on Friday? Yeah, Friday we're going to go to my hometown of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we're going to bet on Arkansas in the first half. This is a game that's moved from 14 up to 16 for the full game. Arkansas consistently shows up and scores early and often in games. It's a very physical, rush-dominated offensive attack that Missouri is just not going to be ready for whatsoever. Missouri team that may be on hangover from getting Dan Mullen fired and winning their sixth game of the season and making a bowl. Keep in mind, Missouri's bowl game last year was canceled. These kids under Jerinkowitz have not been to postseason play because of a COVID-19 cancellation last year. Uh, so a lot of big partying going on in Columbia. 
Tough trip down for the battle line trophy, a game that Arkansas is heavily motivated to win because they've only won once since this trophy was created since 2015. Missouri does not have the defensive tools to push KJ Jefferson into passing downs. They do not have the secondary to keep up with Traylon Burks. Arkansas is going to roll in this game and they're going to get started early because of the hangover effect on Missouri. Arkansas first half. And one task, one remaining task for the week 12 college football betting preview. That's our favorite Saturday bet. I'm going with Boston College plus four and a half at home against Wake Forest. This is a game I make under one. Uh, I think Wake Forest defensive issues have been exposed over the past couple of weeks. When you make Clemson's offense look good, you got major problems. Anyone and everyone can move the ball up and down the field, especially on the ground, which BC likes to do. And hey, when BC wants to throw it, they got a future potential NFL quarterback back in Phil Jerkovich. He can make some explosive plays. Look, Wake's going to get their points. They always will. But Boston College does have a pretty good pass defense that I think can get some key stops here. This number is just inflated. And I think it's going to come right down to the wire. Wouldn't shock me to see another Wake Forest field goal game. But I think BC might get it done this time. Give me the Eagles. Where are you going for your favorite Saturday bet? Take me to the Iron Bowl. I'm going to take a first half over in Alabama and Auburn. Uh, this is uh, Brian Harson is under a lot of fire for his play calling against South Carolina. He consistently scores points early with offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, uh, 14 points in the first quarter against South Carolina, and then three points for the rest of the game. This has been something that's happened for the re- for the whole entire season, where Auburn gets points up early. Defenses adjust, and then they shut Auburn down. And while I don't want to have anything to do with an Alabama point spread that is inflated by an entire touchdown, I do think a first half over is in play because the script that Harson builds often works. Now, on the Alabama side, they're going to be able to pick apart an Auburn defense that is just crumbling, especially when you look at what South Carolina did. South Carolina was able to come back against Auburn because they were able to avoid Roger McCreary and Smoke Monday in the secondary and pick apart the rest of the defense. That's now on tape for Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator of Alabama, and for Nick Saban. And you can bet that Bryce Young, who is as accurate and competing for a Heisman Trophy, will find his spots. There will be plenty of explosive plays. And this is a spot where there's just going to be a lot of points in the Iron Bowl to start off before Alabama makes adjustments on both sides of the ball and takes complete control. But I do like lots of points to be scored in the first half of the Iron Bowl. Yeah, Auburn Super Bowl, too, and their kickers hurt. So you could see them going fourth downs. You could see, you, could, you probably will see trick plays here the whole nine yards. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks, as always, for joining me, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate your support. What a weekend we have coming up. And then, you know, we have conference championships and bowl season. What a time to be alive. Excited to experience it with all of you and hopefully can bring you lots of winners. Enjoy your holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. I will, we will catch you on Twitter. Make sure, by the way, you subscribe, unsubscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Subscribe again. Leave a five-star review. It really helps us out. We'll do giveaways next week on the recap episode. 959-BAD-BEAT. If you need to call in and yell about anything over the weekend, South Carolina fans, yell about Colin if you want. Big bets on Campus Live. Friday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Myself. Colin and Brett McMurphy will share our favorite bets of the day and go through a couple of the marquee games. Thanks for listening again. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.